Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. The Tree of Strife, dramatized by David Wade from the Icelandic saga The Burning of Njál. With Bernard Hepton as Njál, Struan Roger as Gunnar, and Norman Rodway and Barbara Jefford as the narrators. Part two, the fire beneath the rock. Here is the tally of the dead since Halgert, Herskuld's daughter, came to womanhood. First, her two husbands, Thorvald and Gloom, cut down by Fjostolf the Hebridean. He, in turn, was killed by Hrud Herjolfsson. Then came Svart, Njal's servant, killed by Kål. Kål by Adli, Adli by Brynjolf the Unruly, Brynjolf in his turn by Thor Friedmanson, who till then had never shed a drop of human blood. Thor by Gunnar's kinsman, Sigmund, with the help of his friend, Skjörd. Now they too are dead, dispatched by Skarp Hjedjim and Green and Helgi, sons of Njal. Where will the axe fall next? Three years went by, three Althings came and went, and Gunnar sought no compensation, plotted no revenge for Sigmund's death. Though many people, chief amongst them Halgert, urged that he should do so. At last, in the third summer, he stood up before the Althing. Before this Althing is dispersed, I seek your leave to speak. You have it, Gunnar. I wish to speak about the killing of my kinsman, Sigmund Lamposson. It is well known that many people have seen fit to question my restraint in this matter. Others, I am well aware, have a different name for it. There are two things I wish to say. First, my cousin brought his fate upon himself in disregard of all my warnings. Second, in the face of every provocation they were offered, it was Njal and his family who first restrained themselves. They kept the settlement between us on the death of Thor Friedmanson although he was the Njalsson's foster father. My kinsman would be living at this hour if he had not been led to offer them outrageous insults. Therefore, my restraint has been no more than theirs. However, at my good friend Njal's insistence, I have been prevailed upon to name a sum in compensation for the death of Sigmund. 200 silver ounces. This sum Njal has paid. No compensation will be asked or paid for Skjöl the Swede, who deservedly died with him. So far as I am concerned, the matter is at rest once and for all. Now, surely, this will be an end. Nobility and patience have prevailed, 
The rule of law has triumphed over death. The stream of blood that fed the growing tree of strife has now dried up. The tree, a sapling still, must wither in the ground. Ten men, good and bad alike, have died since Halgert, Herskult's daughter, came to womanhood. Surely there will be no more. Must wither, did I say? Must? Oh, I have heard a tree like that will last a hundred years unwatered in a desert, will droop to all appearance dead, yet let a single bloody drop fall on its roots. No, not so much. A single breath of malice rattle its dry leaves, and it will rise again in all its old luxuriance. There was a man called Odkil Skarfsson, lived at Kirkubaya on the Rang River Plains. His kinsmen were the powerful chieftain Gisur the White and Gisur's cousin Gare the Priest. Now Odkil, whose sight, I ought to tell you, was extremely bad, had a friend called Skamkil, a prosperous yet most malicious man, who, though he owned a property at Lesser Hof, was never long away from Kirkubaya. About this time, a famine fell on Iceland. Gunnar shared his stocks of food and hay with all who came to him till he himself ran short. Then he, his brother Kolskek, and his uncle, Trauin Sigvason, rode north from Klitterendi under the Three Hyrnink Mountain to visit Odkil Skarfsson. Odkil, I've come to buy food and hay, if you have any to spare. I see. Um, wait a minute. Skamkul, what do you advise? Refuse him, obviously. You really think so? Why not? We'd still have plenty for ourselves. Nobody has plenty at a time like this. What if next year's crops should fail, hmm? Besides? Besides what? It isn't every day a man has Gunnar at a disadvantage. Oh, yes, that's true. <laughs> I'll refuse him then, shall I? Take your opportunity. Right. But Atkiel, be firm. Of course. Well, Atkiel, do you intend to give us a reply? Indeed, I do. And this is it. I have hay and I have food. But I choose to sell you neither. Ah, oh, that scam kills doing. Brother, leave this to me. I hear you, Atkiel. Perhaps you would prefer to give me some, and trust me to repay you generously. Ah. Scampkill? What do I say to that? Why should you give anything? And as for trusting people to repay you, huh, say no. No, Gunnar! I will not do that either! Ah, uh, Gunnar, why don't we just take the stuff by force? No, Thrawen. Why not? They're playing with us. Octil's very nearly blind, and Scampiel is no match for us. By the time they've summoned help... Uncle, we'll... I said no. I'll not be party to a robbery. Brother, let me speak to him. Stay soon... where you are. To argue with such people only dishonors us. Besides, Octil will not change his mind as long as Scampiel's with him. Yeah. <laughs> What exactly are they doing? I can't quite make out. They are talking, that's all. You don't think they might attack us, do you? 
Let me send my wife into the fields for help. Or better still, just give them what they came for. No, no. Calm down. They won't attack. Not while Gunnar's with them. Then how can we get rid of them? There must be something I can offer Gunnar. No. Ah. Uh, uh, but wait. What about that slave of yours, that uh, useless Irishman your brother palmed off on you? What? Mm-hmm. Melkolf? Yeah. I'd be glad to see the back of him for sure. Well, then. Say you have your reasons for refusing food and hay, but would like to make amends. Say you have more slaves than you can manage at this time and will accept a token sum for a first-class body servant. Rogue and idler. First-class body servant. I could try. But what will Gunnar do when he finds out what he's like? Nothing. Take my word for it. And you'll have got the better of the greatest man in the south of Iceland. Hmm. Maybe he'll refuse my offer. I lay odds he won't. He'll take it in good faith. <laughs> You'll see. Melkor! Oh, <coughs> Melkor! No, I'm here! What is it? What are you doing in the storehouse? Been at the drink again, have you? <laughs> no, lady, what are you oh, doing? Yes, you would. I see through you, Melkov, even if your new master doesn't. Like sees like this, eh? It's lucky for me I'm his, not yours. What's his is mine, and he is not at home. Then may Christ preserve me. Keep your superstitious Irish oaths to yourself and listen to me. I have an errand for you. You're to ride to Kirkubair to Otkiel's house. Don't say you wish to send me back already. When you get there, steal enough food to load two horses. Then set fire to the storehouse. And return. Save yourself. We can't and crucified. Not if you go at night. The dogs know you. There'll be no alarm. They'll put the fire down to carelessness and the theft will never be discovered. Now, wait. Lady, I'm no innocent, God knows. But at least I've never been a thief. <laughs> so you say. But I happen to know that you are both a thief and a murderer. Do as I tell you, or I shall have you put to death. Watch out for the sparks! Pull down the wood pile! Scandal! Is that you? How did this happen? Did you see anything? I saw nothing. Some fool must have left a lamp in there. Some fool left something, surely. But not a lamp, and not in there. Look at these. A knife and belt. I saw them glinting down there, on the path. Don't you recognise them? Hold them to the firelight. Yes, I do. Oh, but I knew it. I told you it was a mistake to sell that Irishman to Gunnar. I doubt if Gunnar knows a thing about this. Then who? My money's on the witch he's married to. But it comes to the same thing. Akiel, I'm going to give you some really good advice. I only hope it's better than the last advice you gave me. Tomorrow early, we shall ride across the river down to Hof and call upon Mirth Valkartsson. What? That boy? Boy in years, perhaps, but not in cunning. I see. But why him? Because he has no love for Gunnar. For Skamkiel had remembered how Gunnar, long ago, retrieved a dowry for his cousin, Un. How on the strength of it she married Valgart and had by him the son she had so longed for. He saw that Merv owed Gunnar for his very life. He also knew that no man loves a creditor 
and least of all, a man like Merth of Horth. You're quite sure of what you say? Quite sure. Because if not... Listen to me, Merth Valgardson. Do I have to say it again? This knife, this belt, they both belong to Gunnar's slave, Melkov. I know, because I gave them to him myself when he was mine. Keep calm, Othacule, keep calm. I take the word for it. So, this uh, Melkov, whom you sold to Gunnar at a bargain price, comes back to Kirkjabaya, sets fire to your storehouse, steals your stores. <laughs> a quantity of cheese was missing, certainly. <laughs> no doubt he purloined other things as well. But, but after a fire like that... Who can be sure? And all this because you couldn't or wouldn't supply Gunnar when he came asking for food and hay? These soft-spoken men are huh? frequently the uh, most vindictive. It doesn't sound like Gunnar's way of doing things, that's all. But let's not worry about that since it gives us a weapon against him. So what do you suggest? Not <laughs> quite so fast. There are things to talk about before we get to that. Ah, yes. <laughs> Naturally. Uh, Mirth, mm? if you will occupy yourself in this, uh, I know my friend will pay you handsomely. How much? Six. Uh, three marks of silver. <laughs> Which of you two holds the purse strings? Uh, three marks is the offer. All right. But on one condition. What? That nobody connects me with this business. Agreed. Agreed. Good. Then, now listen and I'll tell you what to do. Find the beggar women. Send them to Thitherendi. Send them with small wares to sell. Then we'll see what Halgert Longlegs gives them in exchange. And that was done. And Halgert paid each woman with a wedge of cheese. They followed their instructions faithfully, kept what they were given, and brought the wedges to Merv Valgodson. Merv put them all together and found they made a single cheese which fitted Otgel's cheese mould perfectly. Soon after, Gunnar returned home. He had heard about events, said Kierkubaya, and word had gone round that Halgerd was responsible. But many rode with him to Clidorendi, and he decided not to question her till they were gone. <laughs> drink! Drink up, all of you! My wife will now serve us food. Here you are! <laughs> Eat, there's plenty more. Don't go and fetch the meat as well. Yes, mother. Halgad, wait. Now what's the matter? Where did all this come from? Well, what? You know quite well. This cheese, this butter. From our store. Where else? We had neither when I went away. You are mistaken. I am not mistaken. Where did they come from? From a source that should not spoil your appetite. From Kierkebaya. Now I ask you, what sort of man is it that troubles himself with kitchen matters? <laughs> <sighs> I shall remember that, Connor. I shall repay it. Clear the cheese and butter. Bring in meat. So long as it has not been stolen by my wife. The next day, Gunnar, Kolskek, Thrawin Sigfusson and several others rode to Kirkubaya. Gunnar made Otkil liberal offers of compensation, but these, at Skamkil's prompting, he refused. 
for Skamkiel had conceived the notion that they ought to bring an action against Gunnar, in furtherance of which he urged his friend to seek the backing of his powerful kinsmen at Morsfell, Gisur the White and Ger the Priest. So Gunnar turned for Clitherendi. It then came home to Otkiel, feeble-sighted as he was, that he must undertake the weary ride to Morsfell. He was relieved when Skamkil generously said that he would make the journey in his place. He did so, to be sure, less from care for Otkiel's eyes, more out of a suspicion that, in fact, Gisur and Ger would not approve the counsel he had given. Which they emphatically did not. They urged that Otkil should accept self-judgment and without delay, lest Gunnar change his mind. Devoutly thankful that he and not his friend had made the journey, Skamkil rode at full tilt back to Kirkubaya. Skamkil! I didn't expect you back so soon. What did Gisur say? Ah. Exactly what I thought. <laughs> he urged, and Gear supported him, that no settlement be accepted, but that we forthwith serve a summons upon Gunnar for receiving stolen goods, and upon Helgert for theft. And Akiel, what impressed them most of all, was your courage and decisiveness. Then, uh, I suppose we must do what they advise. And so they did. They summoned Gunnar Haumundason and Halgert his wife to appear before the Althing. But Gisur rapidly got wind of what was happening, and he wrung the truth from Otkiel. Skamkiel, for some reason, chose this moment to take to his bed, and was too ill to be questioned. Gisur offered Gunnar self-judgment, and this, on Jarl's insistence, he accepted. So Gunnar gained great credit, and Otkiel looked a fool. No harm was done, it seemed, and all had ended in bright laughter and goodwill. And yet... And yet the breath of malice has been blown. The dry, dead-seeming leaves upon the tree of strife have rattled to it with a sound of swords. In the spring of the ensuing year, Odkill and his brothers rode with Skamkel out to Dahl to visit his friend Runolf. Their journey took them round Clitorendi, over Fleertsleith, where Gunnar himself was sowing corn. Light-hearted at the fine spring day, Otkil galloped on ahead. But suddenly, his horse ran wild and bolted off across the fields. Gunnar, concentrating on his work, a brisk wind off the land isles blowing in his ears, heard nothing till it was too late. Otkil, wrestling with his horse and short of sight, never saw the man in front of him. Oh, curse you for a clumsy oaf, whoever you are! Oh, who's that? Are you hurt? What? You nearly took my ear off with your spur! Gunnar! Otkil! What's this? What's happening? You can see as well as I can, Samkyo. I'm dripping with blood. Akil, this is a disgrace. First you sounds me, and now you try to ride me down. I oh, try to ride quiet, me. man. Don't apologize. It was an accident. My horse bolted. 
I never saw him, I swear! We know that, but don't tell him. Or do you really want to look a fool? <laughs> well, Gunnar, this is a sorry sight. A far cry from the great man who put us in our places at the Althing with his halberd in his hand. Samkiel, when we next meet, you shall see it there again. <laughs> Come on, lads, let's not waste more time here. Good day to you, Gunnar. That was good riding, Akil. I told you, I, I didn't, didn't know you had it in you. Hey, lads, I saw Gunnar weeping with the pain. I'd lay my life on it. <laughs> Wait until we tell them all to die. <laughs> and soon enough, he laid his life on it indeed. Not only he, but Odkill and his brothers, not to mention four of their companions. They were eight in all who in the spring that followed died when Gunnar, with his halberd ringing in his hand, came upon them at the ford at Horf. Gunnar and his brother Kolskek with him. Gunnar, slow to anger. Gunnar, like the fire beneath the rock, which when at last it breaks out, consumes whatever is around it utterly. Now fifteen men are dead since Halgert with the thief's eyes married Gunnar. Add three to make it 18 since she came to womanhood. Well, Njal. Well, Gunnar. I see the news has come to Berkthorsfall. I do not blame you. You have taken drastic action. But you had great provocation. Njal, it sometimes seems to me that there is something lacking in me. Some manliness, perhaps. What makes you say that? I'm so much more reluctant to kill than other men. The lack is in them, not in you. In that case, the lack is now in me also. Shall I tell you what the future holds? If you wish. When the Althink meets, Otkel's kin will bring a case against you. But I shall counsel you, and you will emerge with honor. And after that? Can you counsel me there, too? Yes, I can. Never kill twice in the same family, and never break a settlement which good men make between you and others. I'm the last man to do either. I know, but if you should... Well, what then? You will not have long to live. That summer at the Althink, here the priest brought charges of manslaughter against Gunnar and his brother Kolskek. A jury found the charges lawful, but Gunnar counted them and said that Gea had made them find upon a matter not within their jurisdiction and should, on that account, be outlawed. Well, Njal, what do you think of that? We have him now, eh? No, no. You must withdraw your countercharge. Withdraw huh? it? Why? Because it must not come to that. Oh. 
If Gare is outlawed, it will only make things worse. <clears throat> in practice, both sides are at fault, and that must be reflected in the outcome. Abanyal, you know as well as we do. In a lawsuit, everybody uses any stratagem that comes to hand. You've done so yourself and encouraged it in others. Kolskek, I know. But I have come to see the matter differently. It brings the rule of law into contempt, and that can only lead to anarchy. What I have also said, and say again, is this. With laws shall Iceland be built up. With lawlessness laid waste. By some means we must reach an honourable settlement. I shall go to Gare and propose that the matter be put to arbitration. And that was how it fell out. Gunnar, with his kinsman's help, paid all the compensation laid on him, and Gissa the White and Gare the Priest gave him pledges of peace. And so, as Njal had prophesied, Gunnar came out of this affair high in the esteem of all. There was a man called Starkath Barkarsson, living under the Three Hyanic Mountain. He had three sons, of whom the eldest was called Thorgeir. They were arrogant and brutal men, all three, though no more so than their three cousins, the sons of Egil Kolson of St. Gil. Now Starkath owned a good red stallion, and the question that preoccupied his sons and nephews was who possessed a horse that might be matched against it in a fight. Then they remembered Gunnar, who had a young black stallion, a fine animal, and Starkath said they might issue a challenge, provided they played fair. Accordingly, they rode to Hitherendi. Gunnar was reluctant to accept their challenge, but did not wish to have it said that he had been afraid to do so. Finally, the matter was arranged on condition that Thorgeir and his kinsmen made no trouble. Well, Njal, how will this turn out? Oh, you will win it. And? It will be the cause of many deaths. My own? Not directly, but it will stir old enmities and leave you no choice but retaliation. Maybe I should never have consented to it. But you did. Gunnar Hamunasan, <laughs> if you still accept this challenge, lead your horse forward. I accept. Oh, brother, he's a fighter, that beast of Gunnar's. I think the cousins will get the worst of it. I hope so. What are those two up to? Where? Hmm? Thorgar and the fellow with him. They're leaning on their own horse. They're bringing Gunnar's down. Gunnar! Gunnar, watch out! I know. I can see them. Two can play at that. Leave me! Let me go! Stop, lady! Hold him! Gunnar! I challenge you! None of this will help you, Thorgeir Skarthazan! You half-blinded Gunnar Stallion! What of it? What do you expect, old beardless, sir? He lent on the damn broke, didn't he? No! 
He leant on it and ours came down on Cole and me. No thanks to him, the pair of us aren't dead. Most yes. the pity seeing that you leant on your horse first. Yes. That's an outright lie. Okay, listen, will you? I admit I lent on my horse after you had lent on yours. I admit I struck your cousin when he ran at me and knocked you senseless after you had put my horse's eye out. But if you wish for compensation, I am willing. Compensation? <laughs> the only compensation I want from you, Gunnar, now or ever, is to see you dead. Now see, the tree of strife that once had seemed to droop and even die has sprung to life again. The breath of malice rattled its dry leaves. The deaths of Otkiel and his people fed its roots. And now a gale of hatred has inflamed it with the expectation of a rain of blood. In the autumn, Gunnar Kolskek and their brother Hjert rode up to Tunga, where our screamer leader Grimson made them welcome. They stayed some days and then rode home again. At Canava Hills, just north of Rang River, Starkath Barkasson, Eghil Kolson, and all their sons and many of their kin attacked. They were thirty against three. I take it you don't want to turn and run. So what are we to do? Right down to the river. There's a tongue of land there. Come on! To the river! <laughs> I promised my wife I'd bring her your head. Well, Thorgir, you'll have to come a great deal closer if you want it. I'm coming now. <laughs> <laughs> Sword and spear and halberd, Gunnar, Hjert and Kolskek held their ground, and to such effect that when at last their attackers fled, fifteen men lay dead upon the ground. Among the dead, however, there was Hjert. His brothers took his body up, laid it on a shield, and bore it back to Clidorendi. There they raised a burial mound, and many mourned Hjert Taumundason, for he had been well liked by all. And those who mourned him at his funeral, and those who mourned his enemies at theirs, now counted thirty dead since Halget Herskild's daughter married Gunnar, or thirty-three since she had come to womanhood. Yet few asked why so many men had died, or how the killing might be stopped. Well, Njal, what are we to do now? Many will say your hand was forced. Yes, by ten to one. But will that prevent them bringing actions against us at the old thing? No, Kolskek, but I have been thinking how best to counter them. Now listen to me carefully. First, I shall assign to you an action I have pending against Thorgair for the seduction of my kinswoman, Thorfina. And I have another pending against Starkath for cutting wood upon my property. Now both will do very well as countercharges. Of course, some people will object that you struck Thorgair at the horse fight and thereby forfeited your right to defend an action, but I shall meet that. I shall point out that you offered compensation 
and your right is therefore still intact. However, the most important thing immediately is that you declare the dead men outlawed for attacking you with intent to wound or kill. Once you have done... What is it? Why do you laugh? Sometimes I wonder what all this achieves. You know what it achieves as well as I do. The rule of law. Or what is left of it. However little is better than nothing at all. When Thorgeir heard that Gunnar had declared his dead kinsmen and accomplices to be outlaws, his fury knew no bounds. There were no legal men among his kin, but he had heard that Merv of Horf, Merd Valgardson, was known for his cunning and resourcefulness. Accordingly, he rode westward over the Rang River to talk to him. How dare you? How dare Gunnar call us outlaws? He struck me first. He very nearly killed me at the horse fight. But only after you had knocked his horse's eye out, so I'm told. Was that a reason to attack me? Mm -hmm. What was I supposed to do? Put up with it? Outlaws, indeed. It's outrageous. It all sounds very much like Nial's idea to me. You can be sure of it. Mm. Angmer, that's the reason why I've come to you. If Gunnar has old Beardless behind him, then I need somebody to do the same for me. Of course. Who had you in mind? Who? Who do you think? You! Oh. <laughs> People say I'm nothing but a boy. You seem like an old man to me. Oh, you flatter me. Or do you? But, Thorgair, let me just remind you that whoever you appoint will need the skill to deal with one of Iceland's greatest lawyers at the Althing. That's obvious. Not that I have any fears on that score. <laughs> and uh, there is another thing. Whoever crosses Gunnar Hamundarsson runs certain risks. As you of all men must be only too well aware. What are you driving at? Oh. The man who represents you will expect it to be worth his while. Money? Why didn't you say so? Not only money. Yes? Yeah? What else? <clears throat> I would like to marry. What's that got to do with me? Everything. I have asked Gisora the White for the hand of his daughter, Thorkada. But he doesn't seem to think me very suitable. Mm. However, with your support, I'm quite certain we can persuade him. And so a deal was struck. However, when the matter came before the Althing, Thorgeir's action against Gunnar for the deaths of the Fourteen was utterly frustrated. Such was old Njarl's mastery of the law, that, clever as he was, Merv's prosecution made no headway and the matter went to arbitration. The arbitrators found for Gunnar, who once again came out of the affair with honor, but his opponents straightway set about to see how they could yet be said to keep the pledges they had given not to break the peace, while still encompassing his death. And in pursuit of this and other grievances, Thorgeir made his way to Horf, where he expressed his serious dissatisfaction. But Merv persuaded him that he should pay a visit to his younger namesake, Thorgeir, son of the dead Otkil, that he prevail on him, with various excuses, to join in an attack on Gunnar. Merth knew the boy to be straightforward, but rather easily led. Moreover, he had come to hear about Njal's prophecy. If Gunnar were to kill twice within one family, he would not have long to live. In the autumn, Gunnar sent all the men around his farm down to his meadows in the land isles to bring in the hay. 
He alone remained behind with Halgerd and the other womenfolk. Hearing of this, the two Thorgeirs gathered a troop of men and started out at dusk for Clitorendi. But as they rode, an overwhelming drowsiness came over them, and they had no choice but to sleep. They lay down in a wood, and there Njal Shepherd found them by their snoring. The shepherd brought the news to Njal, who rode at once to see what they were doing. Thorger Stakhadason. Thorger Otkelson. Yes. I thought as much. A fine pair you make. <laughs> Put down your weapons, all of you. What? I am alone and unarmed. <laughs> now, <coughs> Thorger Stakhadason, this is my land. What are you doing here? Wait. Uh, don't tell me. I know. This is a flagrant case of conspiracy to kill, and the Althink will hear of it. Meanwhile, you had better know that I have sent word to Gunnar, and he is gathering a large force. My advice to you, therefore, is to run for your life before he gets here. When the Althink met that summer, Gunnar brought charges against both Thorgeirs, who once again entrusted their defense to Merv of Horf. And once again, Jarl made short work of his arguments. Each member of that sorry expedition paid Gunnar compensation of a hundred silver pieces, but Thorgeir and his namesake were obliged to pay him double that amount. For the third time, Thorgeir Stark Addison rode to Horf. Two hundred silver pieces. We didn't even strike a blow. Mm. This isn't good enough, Murfbaldgarvson. Even I could have told you that a charge of broken settlements against Gunnar was doomed, but you insisted on bringing it. Njal laughed in our faces again. Listen, Thorger, if you and your brave friends had set out for Clitorendi Stone Cold sober... What do you mean? You know quite well the drowsiness that overcame you in the wood. I know the reason for that, ale, and plenty of it. Merv, if you perjure yourself by all means, if it gives you any pleasure. Slaves talk. (laughs) You're right, it was the ale. But listen, how can we bring Gunnar down? We scheme against him and all that happens is he grows in everyone's esteem. What we need now are solid grounds for an attack. I shall find them, don't you worry. I begin to doubt don't. it. Don't. My need is even greater than yours. How so? In my grandfather's day, Murthgear, our branch of the family, was something to reckon with. Since Gunnar made his name, we have been reduced to almost nothing. People despise us. Is that a fact? And will you rise to power again by climbing on Gunnar's corpse? Don't try to make a fool out of me, Thorger. You don't have the wits for it. Just trust me to get what I want. And remember that it would also be to your advantage. Now, let me tell you of another plan. Persuade your namesake... Thorgair to seduce Ormhild. Who? Ormhild, Gunnar's cousin. By this, Merth hoped to anger Gunnar and to give good grounds of self-defense for an attack on him, with Thorgair Otkielsen in front. 
Gunnar watched the young man paying court and made no secret of his disapproval, and yet the Thorgeirs found no opportunity to attack him. Gunnar's kin were always with him, and to them had been added a huge Irish hound, the gift of Halgert's half-brother, Saum, the dog was called. He was faithful and as good a comrade in arms as any powerful man. Then in the summer, Gunnar and his brother, Kolskek, rode down into the Land Isles to oversee the labourers, and word of this reached Merv of Horf, who instantly told Thorgeir and his unsuspecting namesake. We shall be lucky to reach Lidarendi before supper time. At least at this time of the year, we do not have to fear the dark. Do you fear it, Gunnar? What will come, will come, dark or light. You've done nothing to fulfill Njal's prophecy. Nor shall do, if I can avoid it. No matter what provocation men like Thor, Ger, Otkielsen give me. Stop a minute. What? Look at your halberd. What about it? There's blood on it. Or is it the light? Possibly. Which? Is something wrong? Perhaps it is the death ray. What's that? I heard of it in Norway. They say that when a weapon shines like blood, there is a battle imminent. Now what? The blade is ringing. First a battle, then a death. But whose? Do you see anyone? No. Ride on then. Up. Up. Ah, now I see them. Look. I thought so. The two Thor gears and twenty men at least. All wide awake this time. What shall we do? We've no alternative. Race past them to the ford and face them there. Come on. Gunnar, wait. Be careful. Thorgeir Ochkelson. I know. Leave him to me. Doesn't look much like it. Now, here. I'll faint to Gunnar's right, then you come at him from the other side. Now. Gunnar, on your left, man! I see him! No, no! It's Thorgeir Ochelson! Back! Back, all of you! We've lost too many to go on! Too many to go on. Perhaps, for many men lay dead and wounded by the ford. But what he meant was, we have lost the one that counts. That summer at the Elfink, the arbitrators judged that Gunnar and his brother Kolskek must leave Iceland for a full three years. Should Gunnar fail to leave before the winter and without good reason, his life would then be forfeit to the kinsfolk of the dead. Do you intend to keep this settlement? I intend to keep it. 
Kolskek and I have already secured a passage with Arnvin of Oslo. I'm glad to hear it. It seems my uncle's son-in-law will also go abroad. Thorin Sigvorsen is well advised that he stood by and watched when Thorth Friedmanson was killed. Will not soon be forgotten in this house. No. Is it true that Grim and Helgi have your leave to go to Norway? Yes. It is high time. Although I fear no good can come of it. Will Skarp Yedin go with them? No. No, I offered it. Sometimes I think my eldest son is like a wounded eagle. He would like to soar, but some deep hurt prevents him. Hurt? What hurt? I don't know. But, Gunnar, what of your affairs? Will your sons see to them? I have entrusted everything to hurt me. Granny is too like his mother. Yes. Did I tell you? When I returned from killing Thorgeir Otkilsen, she was jubilant. She praised me to the skies. It was a great feat of arms. My triumphs are not hers. But later, I understood. She knew about my prophecy. Gunnar, listen to me now. Do not break this settlement. Now that you have killed twice in the same family, exile is your only hope, and the arbitrator's judgment, harsh as it may seem, could be a blessing in disguise. <laughs> oh, no, my dear friend. Do I see your hand in this? In three years, tempers will have cooled, and you will return to Iceland a celebrated man. You will live to a great age, and nobody will equal you. But if you stay now, you will surely die. Why do you smile? You know my fate, yet spend your life in an attempt to change it. Hergni, my home is in your hands. Yes, father. I will look after it. I know you will. Where is your brother? Uh, Granny went out early. He's not come back, but I feel sure I it won't... See. Tell him I wish him well. Goodbye to you, then. Goodbye, Father. Halgert, goodbye. Goodbye, Gunnar. Tell me, are you more sorry to see me go or to see me escape? <laughs> what a question. Must I answer it? Perhaps you had better not. Or is it that I know the answer well enough already? That's for you to say. Goodbye. Goodbye to you all. Kolskek, are you ready? Yes. And let us go. Which way shall we take? Does it matter? Let's make for the Markar River. Well, it's a rough road. It's a rough time. Come. Are you hurt? No, no, no. The, the beast stumbled. I felt clear. But if we keep to the river, we'll have to go at walking pace. Let's cut across the marsh. Gunnar? Um, what are you staring at? Clitherandy. 
Look at it, Kulskak, look. How lovely the slopes are, lovelier than I ever remember. Golden cornfields, new-mown hay. Uh, come. I am going back home. I will not go away. Gunnar. My mind is made up. You will break the settlement? You know what that means? I know, but I will not go away. And I wish you would stay also. No. I'll not dishonor my pledge. Not in this, nor in any other matter where I am trusted. Oh. It seems this is the one thing that can separate us. My brother, listen. It is not to be avoided. Surely you must see. What is not to be avoided? My death. And many other things. But Njal said... I know what Njal said. Well, then, go abroad and you will live to a great... He said that, but he knows the truth. That is the truth. No, the truth is this. He prophesied that if I kill twice in the same family, which I have done... But then he prophesied again. No, whatever he said afterwards, he said to try and change the course of fate. Because he does not want it to be true. Besides, if I go with you now, what then? Will my enemies forget? Will Mirth forget? Never. When I come home, they will be waiting for me, like embers waiting for dry wood and a breeze. No, I'll stay and take what comes. Will this never end? It will do. One day. But not soon. No. How did it ever start? I don't know. There's a wild thing in men. What are you doing? You two will never leave if you stand there all day. In women, too. Well, I see your mind is made up. I cannot blame you. Farewell, my brother. So be it. Tell my kinsman that I never mean to see Iceland again. For I shall hear of your death. And there will be nothing to draw me home. Go. In safety. I wish that I could say the same to you. <clears throat> so Kolskek rode away and out of this saga. He went to Denmark where he was baptized a Christian and thence he journeyed on to Rome. From Rome he traveled east to Constantinople and took service with the emperor. There, in the end, he died, an honoured captain of the Varangian Guard. Farewell, my brother. Farewell. Gunnar! What keeps you there? I am not going! I am coming home! All that autumn and throughout the winter, Gunnar stayed at home and nobody molested him. The summer came again. At the Althing, Gisor the White proclaimed Gunnar in his absence a full outlaw. Then he summoned Gunnar's enemies and they planned an attack, deputing Merv of Horf to spy and find an opportunity. Njarl called on Gunnar, told him what had been decided and urged that Skarp Hedin should come to stay with him but Gunnar would not hear of such a thing. In the autumn, as was his custom, Gunnar sent his men down to the land isles to complete the haymaking. Merv watched them go. Now Gunnar was alone again, except for the womenfolk and his dog, Saum. The killers gathered 40 of them in the night. 
Hoping to take on her unawares, a man to whom the dog was known lured him away. He and others slew the creature with an axe in a sunken place that bungled it. Sound. Sound. Oh, little brother, they have used you ill. Perhaps it is my fate to follow you. Halgert! Halgert, get up! Go down into the hall, wake the other women. Keep inside the house and out of sight. Now my enemies come on. Thorgrim the Easterner made the first move. They sent him to make sure Gunnar was at home. In the dawn light, he climbed up to the roof, but as he passed before a window, Gunnar struck him in the belly with his halberd. He fell back to the ground, picked himself up, and strode back to Thorgir. Well, man, is he there? That's for you to find out. But his halberd certainly is. And with that, he fell dead. Then the siege began in earnest. The attackers could not see Gunnar, but he could see them clearly, and he harried them with bow and arrow till they withdrew. We are getting nowhere. Merv, have you nothing to suggest? Yes, yes, sir. We'd burn him to death in his own house. Never. Oh, that we cannot do, even if our lives depended on well, it. Well, then, we, we have ropes. If we can loop them round the purlins, we can pull the roof off. And with some difficulty, that was done. But still Gunnar held them off with bow and arrow. Now two were dead and eight severely hurt. At last a man called Thorbrandt Thorkjelson leapt onto the wall and slashed through Gunnar's bowstring. Although it cost him his life, as Gunnar drove his halberd through the man and hurled him to the ground. The rest, not knowing that the bow was useless, momentarily fell back. Halgat! Halgat, come up here! Don't let them see you. What do you want? Cut off some of your hair. Plait me a bowstring. Hurry! Does anything depend on it? My life. Here. Take my dagger cut. No. Why not? You struck me once before our household and your friends. I said I would repay the blow. I choose to do so now. To each his way of earning fame. You shall not be asked again. With sword and spear and halberd, Gunnar fought the killers off and many took from that encounter wounds from which they barely lived. At last, exhaustion brought him down. His enemies closed in, yet even then he got away and held them off. But in the end, they killed him. death of Gunnar was condemned throughout the land, and many people mourned him deeply. Halgert and Grani with her were obliged to flee to Griot River, where, in the absence of Thrawin Sigvason abroad, her daughter Thorgerd took her in. Hercni raised a mound at Clitorendi to his father, and sat him upright in it. But his halberd was not buried with him. It hung upon a wall inside the house, and only he who was prepared to take revenge for Gunnar might lay hands on it.
Now who shall count the number of the dead since Halget Longlegs came to womanhood? The tree of strife has borne abundant fruit, and next year's harvest is assured. Listen, do you not hear it? Nothing. Nothing. And yet the seed of strife comes drifting down. In The Fire Beneath the Rock, the second part of David Wade's dramatization of Njal's saga, Bernard Hepton was Njal and Struan Roger Gunnar. Maureen O'Brien was Halgiev Longlegs, Maggie McCarthy, Berg Thora, and Robert Glenister and Andrew Branch, Skarpjeh Dean and Helgi Njalsson. Vincent Brimble was Otkjell Skarfsson and Brian Miller, his advisor, Skamkjell. David Googe was Kolskjeck, John Church, Thrawin Sigfusson, Alan Barker, Thorger Starkartharsson, and Sean Prendergast, Murth of Hof. Melkolf was played by Ken Cumberledge and Gunnar's son, Hökni, by Paul Downing. Other parts were played by Alice Arnold, Donald G., and David King. The narrators were Norman Rodway and Barbara Jefford. The music was by David Chilton and Nick Russell Pavia. The Tree of Strife is directed by Jeremy Mortimer. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.